A very warm welcome to this World Game Changers podcast, where your host, Paul D. Lowe, embraces many crucial conversations that compassionately contribute towards creating a better life and world. Paul's intention is very simple, to help get people's inspirational insights and motivational messages out into the world so others may benefit. Hello, listeners again, and welcome to this World Game Changers podcast episode where today is my absolute delight to have a guest from my native UK, uh, a gentleman by the name of Ben Robinson, who is the owner and chairman of Burton Albion Football Club. Ben, a very, very warm welcome to you, sir. Thanks for the invite, Paul. Thank you. Listeners, this is going to be a fascinating dance. It always is with guests, as you know. But this one, for me personally, I know is going to be very poignant because... Uh, you know, by mere fact that Ben is the chairman of a football club. And as you know, from many previous podcasts with with football related guests, football is something very, very close to my heart and certainly been a very key part of my uh, my journey. So what Ben and I thought of, you know, a great working title, because you know what these episodes are like, listeners, we tend to end up all over the pitch. So we don't know what goals we'll achieve, but a working title to try and keep us on track try and keep us on track is maybe is life really a game ben intriguing question what's your initial reaction is life really a game uh it is a game it is a game you know it's um it's a story it's a story it's a journey um it's an experience um it's an opportunity Uh, it's all those things um you know, um, which all join together and we can look back, you know, on life's experiences. And uh, I'm sure um, we'll say that some aspects of it was a game. And, uh, you know, and um, we talk about um, how we deal with situations and uh, how people react to situations. And and quite often in certain spheres, you know, in situations, that's a game. They're playing a game, you know, um, and um, so it's a, it's an interesting uh, title and I think very appropriate, yeah. Mm. So I want to play devil's advocate then, if I may, to in kind in terms of trying to answer my own question. So one of the uh, answers that's come back or retorts that's come back to me on more than one occasion with that, life is not a game, Paul, because that makes it about winners and losers. It makes it black and white. Any thoughts around that, Ben? Um. Well, and again, I think it depends, you know, it depends what day of the week, you know, what day of the month that you're referring to and what situation. Um, and um, yeah, I, th- I think life is a game if you've got an under underlying set of strong values and strong ethics, you know, across every journey of your life, you know, um, then, then um you know, it, it is a game, and I'm, I'm sure that um, when the games come into play, that you apply those ethics, you know, um, to your um, the, uh, the dealings with people and the way you act, you know, and conduct yourself and the, the way you conduct your life. You know, mm. is it being too simplistic to say that you know, as you know, I was brought up on '60s and '70s football. You know, we've we've spoke off here about around some. Uh, some great names, some legendary names. And I'm going to be a little bit controversial here around this word legend. 
Um, in life generally, and certainly in football, where you hear it bandied around, it's thrown around like confetti. Uh, and I wouldn't expect you to compromise your position, you know, as a as a respected football chairman. But I, I'm go I'm going to put my own spin on this and and speak my own truth about this. That in modern day football, Ben, there are no legends of the game playing wise. Now that's a strong judgmental statement. I think when you've been, and it brings in the whole thing, doesn't it, of conditioning that we have in our lives. Because when you've been brought up on, as I say, 60s and 70s football, where, you know, there were characters, the, the passion of the game, you know, the whole um, credibility of the game. Um, mm. and these are very contentious words. I understand that. But mm. I look at the modern day game and, and quite personally, uh, Ben, I fell out of love with it because of everything that goes with it. Any thoughts around any of that? Okay, well, firstly, on the question of, you know, the title um, or the accolade legend, um, then, um, yeah, I think you guys are like saying that uh, we tend to regard real legends, uh, real stalwarts of the game, um, you know, uh, when we look back at an individual's career, um, a career that's been completed or one that's nearly um, um, about to be completed. Um, because I think only in, only in that way you, can you get the full measure of the individual, you know, and, 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 cast, and, 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 and see a true reflection, you know, of what they've achieved. Um, you know, so when people say to me, Ben, you know, in football, uh, who are your legends? Who are your, you know, role models? You know, and uh, and I look back, and obviously, um, looking at Burton Albion, for example, in my early days, probably Phil Annabel, uh, he was captain centre half. Um, he, he was he was likened to the actor Charles Bronson, um, and I remember on one occasion the old ground in Park and. Uh, it was um, a winter's evening. It was absolutely freezing, freezing cold. You know, he needed a woolly hat as, as well as several jumpers and a top coat and everything else and and um, warm mittens, if you like. And uh, he appeared from the dressing room to train um, with short sleeve shirt, you know. Uh, and he was um, um, a man built of iron, a really strong guy. And he, and he worked um, as a miner down the pits over at Eastwood, where Nottingham it was. And uh, so um, that was his daily job, to work down the mines. And then he'd come out and perform for Burton Albion on a Tuesday evening or a Saturday afternoon. And a real mountain of a man, a real strong character, you know. Uh, uh, um, it was a great centre-half who played with supreme consistency, you know. Um, and um, and then other former Burton Albion, um, and there's, there's there's a lot of of of, of players you could say that were legends, uh, but certainly he stands out. And then uh, turning the clock forward, um, somebody asked me to choose my recently um, um, player, um, uh, my, my player who I, I probably felt. It delivered the best, uh, and that was Ian Story Moore. Um, Ian Story Moore, as you remember, he was the start Nottingham Forest. He was a player that Brian Clough put onto the Derby pitch uh, as his new signing. Mm. Um, Ian, Ian had signed the form, but um, the secretary at Forest hadn't signed the form, 
Um, and um, still signing for Derby, of course, he signed for Manchester United. Um, and then Ian Sandley had a bad injury to his ankle. His professional career was um, curtailed. Um, and um, he learned he could play, he could play uh, non-league football um, and that wouldn't affect his payout, his insurance payout, which under the, obviously, completion of his career. Uh, and he came as my player, he came as, um, as a player and then he came back as a player manager. Uh, and uh, is 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 he still had tremendous skill on, on on the field, you know. And he was uh, an awesome player, incredible, you know. And uh, and also Nigel Clough. I remember, you know, when Nigel came as a player manager, and uh, people said that, and I said, you know, it's it was just worth paying the entrance money just to watch Nigel pass the ball, you know, great pass of the ball, and uh, you could see how well he read the game and. The, and uh, the incredible contribution that he made, you know, and there's there's lots of others, lots of other um, players I could refer to, but but we haven't got all day, so I'd, those are the ones that I'd probably mention. Um, then away from Burton Albion, um, I had a great pleasure of meeting Pele. Um, so somebody said to me, you know, who was your all-time legend as a player? Uh, it will be Pele, you know. Um, I can remember. Obviously, um, 1966 uh, and um, the World Cup, and and, um, and that year, of course, Pelé got injured, didn't he? So it was Eusebio from Portugal who was who was one of the star attractions, you know. Um, and um, but I can remember Pelé playing, you know, as a young player, like 16, 17, for Brazil, uh, and then um, his, 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 his individual clubs. Um, and then, actually, in um, uh, 1966, um, I went to the States. Um, so, um, in I think it was August, I think, or early September, or it was the end of August. And um, the family I was staying with, um, knowing my interest in soccer, and I, I, I played football soccer with, with the American kids over there, but... Um, the, the as a sport, it was mainly the Latin, Latin Americans and Puerto Ricans that were following it. If you, if I say the you know, the, if I can use the term the white Americans, if you like, um, they they hadn't sort of got into the game, and so playing them, there was lots of shoulder charges, and it was very physical. Um, but um, I saw Pelly play um, at the um, uh, Randall's Island Stadium against um, um, for Santos of Brazil. Uh, and in that team, there was loads of players that played in the World Cup uh, and that played um, Benfica uh, of Portugal. And in the Benfica team, you had Eusebio, Coluna, lots of others. Um, and um, it's quite interesting because the, uh, the stadium, um, um, it just had a very low perimeter fence around it. So at half time, the spectators climbed over the fence, myself included. And um, I got my camera with me, and um, and they were playing soccer on this pitch. Would you believe? <laughs> and this was New York. This was Randall, Randall's Island Stadium um, in New York. Um, and um, so the players came out for the second half, and the, the loudspeaker announcement well, was asking everyone to, to clear the, the pitch. And I got so I got close up to Pelly, I got close up to Sabio and, and what have you. And then I watched the whole of the second half standing next to the goalpost. Um, I can't remember whether it was the Santos goalkeeper or the Benfica goalkeeper. I mean, I was 
I was like 20 at the time and I was in awe just to be there. It was incredible, you know. Mm -hmm. And then um, a couple of weeks later, um, Santos played um, Inter Milan in the Yankee Stadium, which was the old baseball uh, ground. And uh, I couldn't get a programme for the game at Randall's Island Stadium, but um, um, I got a ticket. I was right up in the gods in the um, Yankee Stadium and uh, I sat next to a Scotsman and we're having a chat, and I was very excited and what have you. And he uh, he gave me his program. He gave me his program, and um, I don't really know Paul, but um, he's, uh, Pelly came to Derby ooh, about four years ago. Um, he was doing a tour of the cities in the UK, uh, and I got to meet him. And um, I got and he signed his program, and he he he, he remembered playing that game in a baseball stadium, you know, um, and um, obviously um, I got a shirt signed by Pelly, which uh, is obviously very special and a lovely warm guy, uh, you know, and uh, that, that, uh, so to me, he was my ultimate um, soccer legend of all time, you know, um, Pelle. Mm, wow. Fascinating. And, you know, to take ownership, Ben, of the statement I made um, around this, uh, which, as I say, might even listeners appear slightly judgmental. But let me elaborate on that, uh, not to justify it, but give it a deeper insight, if I may. It brings in quite the question for me, Ben, then, of values of people. Yeah, yeah. Values, yeah. you know, irrespective of whether, you know, you play football, cricket, you know, whatever your, you know, your discipline in life is, your channel yeah. in life is, you know, mm. first and foremost, as human beings, we're, you know, one of our strong sort of moral compass, our guiding lights, call it what you will, is our value system, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and you know, yeah. we, we've spoke off here a, a little bit about, you know, and, and I will name uh, the gentleman, uh, because gentleman and legend are even, they're not big enough words to describe a man that had a, a very, very, very powerful influence in my life. And I will say the legendary Dave Mackay, who was mm. respected for his exploits in football. But ironically, mm. Ben, for me, it wasn't his football. That that cast no spell over me. Um, mm. I saw Dave for the man, for the soul, for the being he was. And that's why mm. I would attribute, um, you know, the word legend to, to, to Dave Mackay, because of his values. Do you, do you feel then that in modern day life, stroke the game, that values are maybe, maybe not as strong as they used to be? Or is that me just being a bit nostalgic about the good old days? No, I think it's very true. You know, you, you touched on earlier about, you know, the modern game, you know, and how it's changed. So, you know, you look at like, you go talk about, you know, say it's Samuel Matthews, you know, um, and for example, um, and, you know, he would travel to the games on the local buzz, you know, uh, um, and, um, and and of course, what's happened with the modern game is that uh, the the, um, the sponsorship monies, the TV monies that have come into the game, um, um, you know, that sets them down a marker, you know. Um, so you've got like young players now, uh, and 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 I would say that you know an average player, you know, signs a contract, three year contract, and it makes them a millionaire overnight you know mm. um and um and that's the thing and the thing for me in my life something that i've always um focused on is um 
uh, particularly when I meet people for the first time, is is um, um, is being you know grounded uh, and and um, you know I remember um, a few years ago I um, I was I was at the Prairie Stadium and I was walking across um, the reception and three girls came in and um, uh, three ladies I should say and I hadn't seen them since my school days which is obviously a long long decades ago and one of them said to the other oh I remember and him when he was um when he was called Clarence right <laughs> <laughs> so anyway I went over had a chat and I said well my mum still calls me Clarence every day you know I said uh, and when I started work in 1963 they decided to call me by my second name so in actual fact people know me know me longer as my second name which is Benish shortened to Ben then they had Clarence and I said but let me tell you, I said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that um, I grew up on a council estate um, from a working class family, you know, and my father, my mum was white, my father was black, you know, and, uh, you know, because I think maybe some people probably thought, well, I changed my name from Clarence to Ben to because I wasn't proud of my upbringing and past, which is could never be further from the truth, you know. And so I think the thing is, so for me throughout my life, I've, I've carried these strong values of, uh, of, um, of, 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 of meeting people, you know, and it's not to meet people who've got wealth and power and influence. Okay, listen, I'm in a journey in business and what have you, 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 you know, you deal with every type of character there. And um, the famous saying is, you know, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose the people you do business with normally that's normally the you know the, the comment you know so mm. so um but i think that this is the problem with the game that i think there's an aspect that um young players you know um are suddenly awash with cash uh and lifestyle and um and, uh, and therefore that, that grounding and um you know that rooted grounding you know from um an early beginning um it's challenging for them. And I think that's why, you know, it's even important for the parents and also to have a mentor that, that helps them through that journey. Because uh, it's difficult, you know, if a player's got all that money to, to spend and the friends are buying, you know, um, luxury items, you know, uh, then uh, it, uh, it's, it, it's, a, it's a far um, cry away from the world that the likes of Dave McClay when he came into the game and, uh, um, you know, and um, people like Brian Clubber's arm when he was a player, you know, um, and um, and that's obviously significantly different to what we experience in in modern times, you know. Mm, interesting. I was reminiscing as you were speaking there, Ben, uh, when I was in the academy at Forest, I had a, a young trainee goalkeeper who was on a three-year apprenticeship um, under my wing, taking him through his studies, mentoring him. And mm. I asked... Um, one of my old uh, friends, John O'Hare, to come in and sort of, you know, just give him the, the benefit of, you know, John's experiences. John's another man that I immensely respect, not necessarily yeah. just for his football exploits, but for mm. the man he, you know, was and is, his values, his old school loyalty and everything about, you know, the energy, the the example he set. So I asked John if he'd come in and give this this young fella, you know, some pearls mm. of wisdom. And then he, what was interesting in the thread of this, Ben, is he said, you know, when he signed for Scotland, he said he got a thousand pounds and a pair of boots and that was it. There was no yeah. fancy kind of contracts or this or don't come back for it or bonuses. 
there's a grand mm. in a brown envelope and a pair of boots. Mm. That's your lot. And he said, that's how it was in those days. And you was very grateful and you was very honoured, you know, yeah. um, and grounded to, you know, to be representing your country and, you know, and all that mm. kind of thing. Um, yes. Yeah. 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 And I think, yeah. And so, you know, obviously the focus was um, obviously focus on, on, on the opportunity, uh, you know, and uh, being successful in the sport. But of course, you know, like all sports, of course, it's been, it's become so much commercialised, and that's why we've seen the latest development with this proposed European Super League, and we, you know, mm. that's uh, that's all attached to uh, the money, you know, um, and um, so yeah, uh, that's um, that's interesting. But um, I mean, just digressing slightly, um, we've got at Burton Albion, like many clubs, we've got a, a charity called the Burton Albion Community Trust, you know, and. Uh, and that does a lot of work, you know, with young people, you know, um, across a number of themes, you know, and helping them inspire, you know, helping them with confidence uh, um, and helping them in the way that they conduct their lives and helping them to to look at the goals that they're looking to uh, to achieve, you know, in their in life's journey um, as they develop. Um, um, and of course, sport is all powerful in that respect, you know, and. Uh, it's a, a great vehicle to communicate, you know, with with all age groups and particularly youngsters, and help them, you know, in their journey through life. Um, and um, and that's important. And there's lots of clubs in the country that Derby County, and you know, they've got a great charity. And uh, I think they've got the vote this year. As the um, um, sorry, they had the vote two years ago for the community club and the football league, um, you know, and uh, and we've enjoyed that as well in the past. So. Uh, it's um, that's the other side of sport, which can have a great impact, you know, and, uh, you know, it needs to be continued to be supported, you know, um, because of the, um, the great example that it can deliver and uh, provide. Mm, absolutely. And that's the essence, uh, Ben, of world game changes that, that we, <clears throat> you know, that we advocate, that we propound that that integration, you know, so that families can do things together, you know, I know we spoke a little bit off here, but, you know, about that, going back to quote John Major from the, the late 80s, mm. back to basics. Mm. You know, from, from, certainly from my own point of view as the, as the founder of World Game Changers, but, and I think that we have lost that over the decades. You know, that moral, you know, mm. like yourself, I was brought up on a very, uh, very colourful um, inner city council estate and, and all the challenges mm. that went with that in subsequent years. I was involved then yeah. in the turmoil mm. and devastation of my own addiction and you know the mm. violence that ensued and all this kind of chaotic way of being but to mm. have that um you know to have that love of community that sense of of belonging mm. uh, i'd go mm. as far as to say and, and speak my truth around this that it actually kept me alive it was enough it was borderline mm. at times but i mm. know without it I wouldn't mm. be here now. I absolutely no. know that. Um, mm. Community is mm. so important for us, isn't it, as people? It, yeah, it is. It's vital. Yeah, it is. And I think the thing is, what we've seen, you know, with this terrible COVID-19 virus um, and the way that that's impacted and affected so many, well, it's affected everybody's family, hasn't it? Everybody's been affected by it, you know, uh, because it's um, it's changed people's lives, you know, and of course it's... Uh, I think throughout that it's created a spirit um, of people um, thinking about 
their responsibilities, you know, um, um, and um, um, and now they spend their time, how they spend their lives, you know, um, <clears throat> you know, and um, <clears throat> so that here at the stadium, we, we've got a vaccination centre, you know, and uh, we've had like 150 people volunteering, you know, um, which has been absolutely phenomenal. I think it just highlights, you know, the spirit of the community, you know, when the chips are down and, 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 and there's a real problem that um, people get together, uh, support each other, you know, show compassion, understanding and concern, you know, and, and help the people particularly that have not dealt with this. You know, I think obviously mental illness is very much in the fore, isn't it? You know, and, uh, mm. not everybody's coped with the COVID um, virus and, and, and the, um, the restrictions that lockdown has imposed on uh, everybody's life for, for such a long period of time, you know. Um, and it's been great to see that that... Um, commitment you know understanding you know um and, and genuine compassion and wanted to help running through our community which is uh, admirable you know it's great it's amazing in november november 2020 ben i produced a book with 22 global co-authors called mastering the game of life so let me ask oh, you yeah. this question do mm. we actually ever master the game of life? Is that a misnomer? Is it an idealism? What's your thoughts? Um, I don't think we do because because there's always um, a situation that needs to be dealt with. You know, every day of our lives we're faced with situations, um, and 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 therefore, uh, you know, we 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 might master ourselves in terms of, of the sort of person that we are, you know, and obviously, you know, um, as we grow older, um, you know, the standards and the goals that we set as individuals, you know, um, you know, alongside, alongside a list of principles and ethics. Um, but um, no, I don't think, no, I think that um, you, you could never say that we, we master the game of life completely. Um because we we see so many new challenges appearing every day, and it's it's another challenge, you know, and it's a, it's another hurdle to. But what we've got is with the benefit of experience and, and hindsight. You know, I mean, we all know hindsight's a wonderful uh, tool, isn't it? You know, mm, mm. that we're able to um, to meet these challenges and deal with them, you know, and um, uh, and get through them and come out the other end with um, the um, scenario that we um, we'd hope for. Yeah, I was very fortunate stroke privilege about five, five and a half years ago then to be in the States and be speaking in, in close court with one of the world's top eminent practitioners in the world of um, personal development from a spiritual perspective. And the question mm. got asked about, do we ever get to a time or place where we are sorted? Interesting word, sorted. And like all wily old mentors, um, they'll invariably put the ball back in your court. So he posed for a few moments. What he was doing mm. was anchoring. And, mm. and he did actually put the question back to the uh, young American lady that asked it. And uh, mm. he said, hmm, do we ever get to a time or place where we are sorted? And he said, and we would kind of, we was waiting there, you know, with bated mm. breath, which seemed like an eternity, was probably yeah. only about three minutes, but it seemed mm. like a lifetime because we was all waiting for this all-powerful definitive answer. 
Mm. And he opened his mouth and he said, what do you think? Mm. <laughs> it's like, well, I don't know, because that's why I'm asking you. Anyway, eventually, with another kind of 90 seconds or whatever it was, the answer came, no, we don't, but we learn to catch challenges quicker. And I yeah. thought that was very, very, very profound, and very powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that, I would say that sums it up really well, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. So interestingly, Ben, on Mastering the Game of Life, the very third, first podcast I did many moons ago, 350-odd episodes ago, was actually called Mastering Life is as simple as ABC. And mm. the ABC acronym was for Awareness, yeah. Beliefs, and creativity. Right. The starting point is awareness, because we don't know what we don't know. Mm. To yeah. go on any journey, we need to know where, you know, if we're going to drive from, say, I don't know, London to Glasgow, we need to, or where mm. are we in London? What's the route out of here? Which path are we yeah. going on? Mm. The beliefs. What do we believe? What, what are our beliefs? I actually mm. work with a, one of my mentors, a guy called Jim Britt from the States. Mm. And Jim has a take upon this. All beliefs are false. It's mm. something we have decided as an individual that is true. Right. Now, that's, uh, you know, that's maybe a whole podcast episode in its own right. Mm. Mm. But the other one, uh, Ben, was the creativity. Mm. Because if we always do the same old thing, if we always play the same old ball into the box and the centre half's always marking that zone, we're never yeah. going to achieve any goals. So let's try something different. What about mm. if we're whipping that ball hard and low to the far post instead of floating it mm. to the, you know, or whatever? That creativity. Yeah. Any thoughts yeah. on ABC then? Um, no, I think it's a great analogy, actually. It's something that I've written it down and I'll use it at some stage, you know. Um, particularly we're talking to youngsters, um, young people say. And, um, but of course, it applies to adults as well. But obviously, mm. trying to think of the age, you know, there's an age um, when youngsters absorb uh, the and remember the most knowledge at a young age. It's quite a young age, isn't it? It's, it's, is it seven or eight? It's as young as that, something like that, I believe. Up so five, yeah. I mean, up to about five, five and a half, and they are literally like sponges. Yeah, yeah. It's five and a half, is it? Yeah. yeah. Around that mark, yeah. Yeah, mark. yeah, 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 yeah. So, no, I think that's great, obviously, that, you know, um, um, being a, a, aware, aware, you know, um, of a situation, um, or concept, and, and, then, and then you take the next step further. And whatever you need, whatever you're doing, you need ultimate belief, 100% belief, don't you? And then you develop that into ideas, you know, which becomes your creativity, you know, um, you know, and, uh, um, you know, I mean, we say here at Burton Albion to the staff, you know, that um, that, that um, inspiration is standard. Everybody needs to be, whatever we do, we all need to be inspired and we, 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 we um, deliver our, our responsibilities, um, you know, from an inspirational vision, you know, and an inner belief, uh, you know, obviously, um, obviously, um, coupled with a couple with a lot of hard work, you know, and dedication. So, uh, so an ABC that's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting um, philosophy. Yeah, very good. Mm. Inspiration, love that word, Ben. Let me ask you your views on um, 
Is it more powerful? Is it more meaningful than the word motivation? What's your, how do you discern between the two? Well, I think um, inspiration is, is to me is, um, is uh, you can be inspired by people, but you need that inner spirit within yourself to grasp that that feeling of inspiration, you know, it's, a, it's something that blossoms from within. Um, and motivation, um, motivation, um, determination um, to succeed, to deliver, you know, all stems from an inspiration. I think you've got to have an, you've got to be inspired in order to motivate. Yeah, I get perfectly, Paul. The way I phrase it, personally, Ben, is the macro level, the big one is the inspiration. And yeah. the more kind of micro passing fleeting element, motivations come and go. A prime example I use regularly is it's New Year, it's Christmas, you know, somebody's bought me a pair of trainers, paid for a gym membership, right, this is it, I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to pack up smoking, I'm motivated mm. to start the new year, I'm going to run the marathon yeah. in September, etc. So that's yeah. a motivation, it's an idealism, mm. it's great. Yeah. But what mm. happens a week into the new year, it's raining, it's cold, or oh, I'll go out from a two to my two-mile run another night. I'll do it another yeah. night. I'll do it another yeah. And as we know, before you know where we are, you know, yeah. <laughs> back to square one. However, mm. inspiration, to use the mm. old computer analogy, that's where we go into the C drive. We go yeah. really deep and say, yeah. I yeah. need, I want, I will change. I will yeah. change. Mm. Um, mm. And if I can be allowed to put that in sort of a, a more graphic personal context, Ben, for me, yeah. With my mm. uh, alcohol addiction, which lasted decades, I was always motivated to abstain. Mm. Um, so I'd usually have six months on, six months off in the early stages. Yeah. Uh, mm. and it was all mm. psychological. But I knew yeah. that through motivation, I could discipline myself to come off it. I couldn't sustain mm. it, but mm. it was superficial. Now, as the years went by, that six months became three months. That three months became six weeks. And my body just took that much abuse uh, over the years that in the end it, it said, right, Paul, I'm going to give you an ultimatum. And this was 11 years ago, Ben, on the 6th mm. of February, 2010. Yeah. You either yeah. stop now or you're gone. Mm. I knew my mm. time had come. What that did for me, Ben, that took me then into the realms of inspiration. That went down into my deep sea drive to say, mm. you either stop drinking, boy, or you're going to die. Mm, black and mm. white you decide if you come out yeah. of this because i was in a bad way so i use mm. that example ben to to kind of mm. really show the polarization between inspiration which is really mm. powerful and motivation yeah. which is kind of well, superficial in my humble mm -hmm. opinion mm -hmm. yeah 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 well i agree i agree you know when you're talking about if you talk like a in business and having a sales team you know that uh, you need to inspire them first and, and then that motivation follows, you know, so. Mm. So on the creativity note, Ben, I want to leave that open listeners because I know as a result of yet again, uh, a little bit of a chat Ben and I had uh, off air mm. that uh, mm. there's a very creative side to Mr. Robinson and one that I'd like to explore by inviting you onto another episode, Ben, where we just focus on creativity who knows some poetry might even come into the play 
Who knows? <laughs> right, okay. Well, we spoke earlier. Um, I um, just just um, digressing slightly. So, so when I'm up and down the country, I've been, you know, um, obviously before lockdown, and uh, probably rubbing shoulders with some pretty um, well-educated um, people, and uh, inevitably the, the, the subject of education um, comes across the table. And then obviously one guy's been to Oxford, one guy's been to Cambridge and, and, and Harrow or whatever. And so um, I say, Ben, what about your education? So I um, I went to the village primary school, and that lovely village of Rolston on Dove um, and uh, picturesque village where in my early life, I was the village butcher boy and also the newspaper boy, you know, and, uh, and, and that was a great time for me because uh, as a, a 13th, well, 12 and a half, 13, 14 year old, um, I um, had the confidence to deal with adults, you know, and um, and what have you. Um, and as the village expanded, I would um, knock on doors and, and try and persuade them. I delivered their newspaper and the, the village butcher boy, you know, his meat was, was um, amazing, you know, and delicious and a great delivery service and what have you. Um, and then I went on to... Um, I found my 11 plus and my mum was so in, you know, she was so disappointed. She wrote a letter of complaint to the educational office and um, wanted to know a young bright son had found his 11 plus. Anyway, uh, I found my 11 plus and um, went to um, the forest of Newwood school uh, in the next village of Tutbury. We used to bike there every day. Uh, and, um, um, and so across the dinner table, the guys would be talking about that career. And I'd say, I um, I went to the Tutbury Sorbonne, and it was obviously some wind-up, it's, you know, and, uh, oh, the Tutbury Sorbonne, but, wow, that sounds intriguing. Yeah, yeah, the Tutbury Sorbonne in that lovely village of Tutbury, the one that was famous for its uh, glass um, production, glass-blowing business, and the one with the ruins of a castle where um, Queen Elizabeth I imprisoned uh, cousin Mary Queen of Scots before she was uh, eventually beheaded oh that's amazing yeah 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 and obviously then you know right at the end of the evening I uh, obviously I, um, I, I I can claim and say that it was a wind up and I uh, attended the Forest of Needwood uh, secondary school uh, and in that school it was a great school um, it was one of the first um, secondary schools in the area to to, um, to pupils to take their O-level examinations, you know, and uh, and I, I was fortunate. I had a number of teachers who who um, took, took um, you know, great interest in their pupils and they were, they were inspirational, they were mentors. In fact, my old art teacher went on to become best man at my wedding, Colin Brody, a lovely guy. His wife um, was my English language teacher. And um, there was John Redfern as well, who came later, and uh, Matt Jones' history. And then there was a guy called Archibald MacDonald Max Boren, who was my English literature teacher. And so it, 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 through all of them, and, and Archie at the end, really, uh, I was inspired to write poetry and essays, and I, uh, I wanted to be a journalist. So uh, um, we produced the school's first magazine, which I contributed to. And so I was a schoolboy, and I was... I was 15 at the time, I think. I wrote this poem, and, and Paul's twisted my arm to read it to you. So it's called The Fire, and it goes like this. Um, the cold black coals of heartwarming desire produces a glow more rare than sapphire. With bright red and yellow flames within their embers burn unusual statues. 
the monster momentum decay off with prognostic look and told in any picture book unusually formed some noble some meek the burning brilliance a wonderful fold how i wish with one grasp i could hold its splendor and always retain it but not to turn to cinder to ash to death it flickers it roars and ceases to burn but flakes to dust as with it as with us so that was the poem as a schoolboy and Basically, I was trying to draw an analogy with life, you know, through the fire, looking in the fire. And my uh, stepfather, Frank Leslie, uh, is a really great, hardworking guy. Um, and he'd be um, staying, he would, after stay overnight, uh, before motorways. And uh, so my mum and I uh, would spend lots of nights um, uh, in front of the coal fire, you know, chatting away and... Uh, and that's where I got this idea to write this poem, looking in, in the fire, and the images in the fire and your imagination and what have you. And uh, I was likening that to some extent to life, you know. So, uh, mm. but anyway, so I, uh, I didn't get a job. <laughs> <laughs> I applied to the local newspaper, the Burton Mail. I, I remind them about this occasionally, um, but I couldn't even get an interview. So um, I... Um, I um, went into the high street as an insurance clerk, and uh, and obviously I took well, worked out very well in the end because I only my insurance and broke in and financial services business, and through that business, um, that's how I got involved with Burton Albion. I became to become the owner of Burton Albion and uh, met a lot of great people, um, some very wealthy businessmen who gave me great support over the years, you know. And as their businesses grew, my business grew with them, you know, and. Uh, and one of the guys, my oldest, um, uh, my oldest pal is Malcolm Meadows, who's a painter and decorator. Who, who and he was a great footballer. But uh, in business, my oldest pal is uh, Jeff Salt, guy who um, started out uh, with a plastics business and uh, ended up selling for eleven million with his partner. Is uh, now eighty-five. Jeff is he lives near in the Cotswolds, and uh, retired when he was fifty. And I said to him, I can't retire, Jeff. You know, I need to be doing something every day and, and being to be active. But he's he's a, a lovely long retirement with his wife, Hazel, you know, and uh, both him and his wife, they were directors of Burton Albion. It was they introduced me to Burton Albion back in, in um, towards the end of uh, December 74. Uh, and I joined the club, and became a director in February of 75, you know. So it was through my friendship, business friendship, friendship with them. I started as a business and then became friendship over many years that I got involved with Burton Albion. So mm. there you go. Fascinating journey. Fascinating journey. So I want to ask you one big question by way of, um, you know, the referee putting the metaphoric whistle in the mouth to draw the game, the game to a close, uh, Ben. But uh, yeah. before I do, uh, I just want to invite you in really to share, uh, to share your contact details, how people can reach out uh, to either you personally or the Burton Albion uh, community trust that you've alluded to you know what's your, yeah. what's the best way to contact and reach out to you Ben? uh i would well i'm quite happy to email me on my personal email address um which is ben robinson at ben robinson fs.com um that's my personal email address uh, if they if, if anyone emails me, emails me on that address and i'll and quite often i get you know um, requests from students to help them with different projects you know and, mm. which i'm always happy to do so um, that's the best way to contact me um, by email. Um, and um, 
my uh, obviously or at the football club, which is but I'm trying to 01283 But I'm, I'm sure people would prefer to use email, which is uh, and uh, I'm also on Facebook, obviously, as well. Um, which um, and uh, and Instagram, so um, and Twitter, the, all these modern mediums, you know, <laughs> as a means of communicating, yeah, you know, yeah, uh, to the world out there, you know, and, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. So drum roll then, listeners, drum rolls, that fateful moment as we, as I say, the referee puts a metaphoric whistle in his mouth. So come on, guys, the game's gone on long enough now. So my question to you, Ben, is this. So as a coach, as a mentor, what would one of your key lessons that you'd pass on to, you know, whether it, was, it doesn't matter who it is, young person, you know, those labels. Um, and I want to actually just not. OK, so there's two questions. So what would be one of your key lessons then but then I want to take it to a more finite degree and say for them to leave a legacy so for your legacy for them to leave so it's that pebble in the pond you know you drop your pearl of wisdom in a pond and it ripples out what would one of those pieces of uh, information insight shares what would that be yeah 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 well if I look back on my life you know I'm 76 in September right um what what has seen me through my life and my journey through life, and if I'm if I'm if I'm perceived to be successful um, in business and also you know in private life, um, it's because um, my mum ins- inspired me. My mum inspired me, um, and to some degree my stepfather, but my mum, and 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 that was um, to always work hard, always work hard. Um, not just for today, but every day. Um, um, and I think when I started working in 63, there was four of us. There was three boys and a girl who got a job at the insurance company. When the insurance company then was being taken over and merging, uh, I was the one that they kept on. And I think it was because they saw that, you know, the four of us, I was the one that had a total commitment to work hard every day. I'd come to the office to work, you know, and to learn and to progress, you know, and I, and, and I was ambitious, um, but I was ambitious uh, for the right reasons. I was ambitious because I wanted to be successful. Um, and also as honesty as well. I think it's important to be honest with yourself and everything you do, you know, um, and um, with a great sense of self-belief, believing in yourself. And also, I think mentors, I, um, I think it's important, you know, that you obviously have great parents who mentor you and support you, but with, outside of that circle as well, if you, if you um, look at people that you know that have particular knowledge of, of, of your career path or your business path um, or, or a personal problem, you know, in your life, you know, and I think um, I've always been a great believer in... Um, in 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 in, in um, having a dialogue with with mentors and listening to them and the value of their life's experiences, you know, because uh, you 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 believe you me, you've got to ex- you've got to experience certain sub- situations in life, in reality, to be able to help others, you know, get through their problems and their crisis and and their challenges, you know. Um, so I'd always advocate. Um, you know, looking to to mentors um, that you can trust. You know, who want to support you for all the right reasons. You know, uh, 
and not with any hidden agenda or, or motives, but all, all for the right reasons. That they they like you as an individual. They want you to um, take every opportunity to develop your career and your pathway in life, you know, and be successful. Um, and, um, and and also, you know, give you um, a strong um, set of values, you know, um, when you're dealing with other people, you know, have a, have a strong set of values and always stand by them, you know. And that's why I say that, um, you know, nobody's got anything on me in terms of turning the clock back and saying, well, you know, this, all that. So, um, you know, I think that's why the council recently asked me to chair this town investment plan board. It's a scheme whereby um, an opportunity to draw down uh, 25 million pounds from the government. We've got 22.8 million pounds to invest in making uh, Bretton Trent a better community with seven projects, you know, which um, which we're working on, you know. And, uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why um, that that's probably happened, you know. So so that's my advice to to youngsters um, who are listening to to um, um, the content of, of, of our discussion and uh, those uh, those um, comments and and and, and um, details that I've alluded to that's um, that's the best advice I can give and share with you superb Ben thank you so listeners as as Ben and I of the the two metaphoric captains of the uh, the sides we're looking over to the referee and we're, we're pleading for more time the referee's having none of it listeners the whistle goes in the mouth the game draws to a conclusion and all that remains now is to thank Ben immensely for his, his part in what I believe has been a great game, a great conversation. And, and to leave you with this thought, listeners, that remember, the world's changing. How will you respond? Thanks very much for listening to this World Game Changers podcast episode. Hopefully you found it interesting and helpful. Drop a line to paul at worldgamechangers.org with any thoughts or questions you may have, and he'll be more than happy to respond. Remember, the world is changing. How will you respond?